Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J. I'm the moderator, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Thursday, January 21st, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book, and we'll be starting on page 24, the second paragraph, which will be read for context, and then we'll be reading the third one to discuss. That's how we'll start today. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship. Oh, excuse me. Today we are, and we're at page, I told you that. Today's readers are um, Kathy. I, wait a minute, excuse me. I'm having a senior moment. Today's readers are Christine M. on the 12 Steps, Nadia B. on the 12 Traditions, and our readers today of the text will be Kathy K., Naomi B., and Chelsea H. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, January 20th, was 8395. 8395. O Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Christine M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Christine M., recovered in Missouri, recovered compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 
Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christine M. And now I will ask Nadia B. to read our 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for a membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought to never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. Eight, Avoiders Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those who they serve. Then, Awaiters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nadia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify 
as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on the bottom of page 24. We'll be reading the second and third paragraphs, the first one just for context. And I will ask uh, Kathy Kay to begin us off. Thank you, Anita J., for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? Okay, Um, well, uh, we're reading about the mental twists that go on for the alcoholic um, if we're not attending to our disease and what we need to do to keep it in remission. Um, There are two words in this paragraph that uh, I circled because I thought they were very important. The first one being nonchalant, which means casual or indifferent. And, you know, it took me a long, long time to recognize that an extra bite off my food plan or um, picking up something that wasn't on my food plan uh, always led me down a path of thinking, that's okay, it didn't hurt me, I can have just one, only to discover a day or a week or a month later um, that I had uh, lost my way and that my thinking had me um, doing all kinds of non-abstinent behaviors. Um, This is why it's so important to have a plan and to um, not be self-reliant when it comes to uh, our drug of choice. We really need God to help us 
think differently. Um, that took me also a very long time. I thought I was a very smart person and that once I understood that extra bites would lead me down uh, a, a path to obsessive eating, um, I also had to understand that I was powerless over my thinking and that the only way uh, to develop better habits was to enlist the help of my higher power. Um, the other word that I circled here is supplanted. Um, only to have that thought supplanted with another thought that didn't help me um, become uh, clear and abstinent. So for me, this paragraph uh, really reminds us that um, our disease is very subtle, and if we're nonchalant, it will grab us, and we have to supplant our thinking with um, recovery-based thinking that we get through working the 12 steps and developing a relationship with a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kathy Kay. Now we'll open it up for our three-minute shares. Who would like to speak on this third paragraph? Katie G. from Boston. Katie Larry. G. Larry. Melissa C. Melissa C. This is, this is Bella. Can I share? Yes. And did I hear you, Sally? You did. All right. Tina S. Thank you. Vasa O, Kim G, and Kim G. All right, let's go with this. We have a nice line up here. Kathy K, Larry, um, Melissa C, Sally, Bella, Tina, Vasa, and Kim G. Katie G, please begin us. Let's start us off. Katie. Hi, sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry about that. Hi, this is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Reader, Anorexic and Bulimic. Um, I just want to share the difference between um, the lies that I told myself, right, the rationalization, justification, and defense that I had um, lying to myself, not in denial but in delusion and false psychotic beliefs that somehow, okay, well, you know what, I'm going to eat at you. Life is not going well this time, and I can manage it this time, and here's how. And look, guys, I've been in the room for over 11 years, and um, I did the steps, and I broke my abstinence, you know. And, and um, you know, the only way that I can stay away from the food a day at a time is getting out of the lies, living in the truth, and um, and monitoring my thinking. And I do that, you know, I love this meeting, but I do that not by just going to this meeting, but by working the steps on a daily basis. And so my story for you from, is from last night. Um, I got a doozy, a doozy of a resentment. My self-righteousness was like, excuse me, do you know who you're talking about? I am Katie Gia, and you should be communicating on my terms. The difference today is that I took my little um, spiritual toolkit app, I did a 10th step, and I went into the bathroom and I said, okay, KDG, this is where you do your work. This is not where you pick up the food. This is where you do your work. And so I took in a deep breath 
and I breathed out all that was self. And I went into my bed, and I just said, please, God, put me to sleep. And let me tell you what happened. He put me to sleep, and I'm waking up this morning, and I'm abstinent. Thank you, God. The difference between that and before I did the steps and before I was um, continuing on this path is that I, I ate at people, right? I was like, and I was, and um, everybody says, uh, I went back to the food because no 10, 11, and 12 or whatever. For me, I always went back to the food because I failed to recognize what powerless meant, right? If I'm not fully living in the powerlessness of my allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, then I'm going to go back, right, because I can manage it. And here's how. And look at you. You're exercising and, and vomiting. Look at you. You seem normal. You're eating a piece of cake. I can do that too. And here's how. I'm KBG from Boston. Look at me. I don't need help anymore. Like I speak on vision for you. I'm cured. Look at me. Look at me go. And the more me that came in, the easier, easier it was to justify, rationalize, and defend and believe these lies, right? That's the problem, is I'm lying to myself, and as a result, I have no power, no choice or control, and I pick up the food thinking, it's not going to hurt me this time. You know, so today, thank you, God, I have a spiritual toolkit, entire abstinence, no matter what, no messing around, entire abstinence, and I do the steps and work the tools every single day, and you know what? God continues to set me free on a daily basis. So I'm doing it with you today, guys, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie. Uh, Larry Kay, please go ahead. Thanks, Anita. This is Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. So it says, the, the alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. You know, for me, this is just another example of of the insidious nature of the obsession of the mind. You know, in fact, it's it's so powerful that after a while, it actually seems normal for me to try to to put out the fire with with some gasoline. You know, and why was it that that, that after experiencing those those horrible consequences of another you know another dozen donuts, another pizza, another bucket of ice cream? you know, the physical and emotional consequences. Why was it that I was so willing to chase that dragon down the, the dark alley? You know, and, and after each binge, you know, hating myself for the emotional weakling that I perceived that I was, you know, hating my body, resenting uh, uh, thin people. You know, I eventually crawl out of my cave, blotting out the feelings of my hopeless situation, you know, I'm, I'm never going to accept defeat. You see, I, I wasn't ready to surrender. And, you know, the very next day, there I'd be, right back at the bakery, you know, making very low eye contact with my drug dealer, you know. And I didn't know yet that I had a disease, see, at the time, both bodily and mentally. And that, and that furthermore, that, you know, that this disease you know, this, this spiritual malady would wither and die in the face of a spiritual solution. That I didn't get. Even after coming into program, I didn't, I didn't understand that this disease, this spiritual malady, would in fact wither and die in the face of this spiritual solution. It was, the, it was no match, no match whatsoever for the 12-step process that we call recovery. And what's interesting, wither and die, yeah, that's, that's what happened. 
but but not cured, and that's the paradox of it all. So it's it's not a cure, but it's uh, it doesn't impact me because it's in remission, as long as I maintain my fit spiritual condition, which I do in in living in steps ten, eleven, and twelve. But boy, oh boy, this obsession it it had me baffled. It absolutely had me baffled, and it and it brought me to my knees. And it was the disease that convinced me. It convinced me that I needed, you know, that if I had a spiritual malady, it was going to require something other than a physical solution. It was going to require a spiritual solution. And that's indeed what it did. And my life's different today. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Larry. And Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, it just makes me think about um, the slippery slope of, of this disease for me and that, you know, I get a um, just that casual passing thought and, um, you know, that somehow I'm a little still maybe like other people, you know, and that for me it can happen as subtly as um, making a switch to my food plan, something that, you know, seems like it's within um, things that are safe for me to eat, but um, I am a real compulsive overeater, and so um, I really cannot casually do anything with food. Um, And, you know, for me, it goes so quickly from um, a casual thought to um, scrounging through my cupboard and eating, you know, brown sugar from the bag. I mean, that's that's where it goes for me. And so um, I am not like other people. And, you know, this just, it's for me, this is all step one, really pounding into me that um, I am powerless to this. And, you know, I've, I've thought about my disease before, this addiction, like a handsome stalker that will do anything to convince me to open up the door for it. And, um, you know, and the only thing that can keep the door locked is my higher power. You know, is somehow it makes me see the reality of what that stalker is. And, you know, one of the thoughts that I have had before is, um, do I really have to be this rigid? Do I really have to be the kind of person that has to bring food on vacation, that has to plan food on vacation? Can I just be free? You know, and that's a lie because I've never been free when I'm eating. You know, I cannot um, eat like other people. I am not free when it comes to food. The only chance of freedom I have is by complete abstinence and living the steps, you know, because the steps make being completely abstinent um, the only reality for me. It makes perfect sense for me to um, be completely abstinent because I'm living in a different plane today. You know, my my role is to be useful to others, and I have no chance of being useful when I'm owned by the food and then saying, um, who cares anyway? Because that's where it always leads me. Thank you. That all care. Thank you, Melissa. And Sally, please go ahead. Did you call me? It's Sally. Yes, yes, I did. I didn't do that time, so. Um, good morning, a vision for you, and thank you, Anita. Thank you for hearing my voice, and um, 
giving me an opportunity to share on this this paragraph, which speaks volumes to me as well. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. So I want to speak to this sentence because I think it speaks volumes. This word casual is another word that I have circled on the page. Casual, it means not planned or expected. It's by chance or accidentally done without serious intent. You know, it's a lot like the word nonchalant, this word casual. But what I love about this this sentence is that it leads to how we start out so casual. I remember doing this for so many years, casually picking up. And really what what it's born of is my defiance. It won't burn me this time, the lie that I tell myself, and here's how. And that's my defiant streak. That is a huge part of my illness. Even to this day, I still have to look at my defiant nature. What is it that makes us not willing to plan? We're told year after year, I was told, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. How many years did I hear that? And I was just unwilling to embrace that concept of planning. You know, the big book tells us in another place, and I don't know where it is off the top of my head, it tells us that our, our trouble is of our own making. And so often, this is really the, the, the root of it, is that we are like Bill in the sense that we're risk takers, and we want this excitement. And when things start to calm down and we put the food down and things become orderly, we don't know how to live. I know me. I did not know how to live anymore. I was used to the rush, the excitement, and all of the emotions that came with the sneaky behavior and the defiant behavior of eating. So what was I going to do with my food is in order? My life is manageable. Everything is calm. Everything is in its place. I didn't know how that looked or how that felt, and it took some getting used to. So when I see this sentence, the alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. There's nothing casual or nonchalant about picking up. What I was doing was picking up a gun and shooting myself in the foot, and I was bleeding out. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to do that anymore that I can walk one day at a time with you guys by my side reminding me that I don't have to live like that anymore. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Hi, it's Malky. Hello? Anita J, are you there? Hi, Malky. Yes, hi, it's Malky. Oh, excuse, oh, excuse me, I had it on mute. I uh, no, it's um, Melky. We have some in the queue now. I'll okay, put so you if we have time at the end of this. I'll okay. I'll get you okay, down. okay, sure. Sorry, All right. Yes. Okay. It's Bella G. and then Tina. Go ahead, Bella. Good morning, uh, Anita. I think that Kim G. is before me. You think so? Yes. And I will go after Kim. Well, Kim. Uh, Kim, do you defer to her? We're all set here. Um, I'm not ready yet. I'm doing other things. I'll yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think she was later, Bella. Okay. You go ahead. You go okay. ahead. 
Okay, good. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankfully covered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Anita, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Well, I will stop with the sixth drink. Such a wonderful, wonderful reading, and this sentence special, especially for me, because before the program, this where I was. After the sixth drink, and not only in the food, in all my behavior, but also in the food. I remember when I was like saying to myself, okay, Bella, only one more piece, and then you are, that's it, you are done. And till I didn't finish all that food, I didn't finish. And I didn't understand what's going on with me. You know, I think I am pretty responsible. I am pretty smart. And I didn't understand how come I cannot stop. And in also in, in my other behavior, you know, now that I'm in the program, thank you, God, I know that uh, I call it people pleaser. But then I didn't know, and I just continue. Okay, this time I will do exactly what they expect from me, even though I don't like this behavior, but I will do. I, I promise only this time. And I just found myself continued the same exactly behavior. And then I came to anger, to jealousy, to uh, upset, and I couldn't understand why. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today, yes, I know that I wanted my control. I wanted to behave according to my ego because this was my power. Thank you, God, I am not there anymore. And I know that I am human and I am powerless. And yes, today I am connected to a loving, accepting power. And today I know that as soon as I take my alcoholic food, there you go. I just can't stop. And this is my disease. And thank you, God, today I, by doing the steps, by living in the steps. Today I know, you know, that I have the opportunity to pose. And yes, I have the power to choose, to choose one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you so much, Balaji. And Tina S., uh, please go ahead. Thanks, Anita, uh, for your service. Tina S., uh, Compulsive Eater Anorexic from Florida. Uh, some great shares I heard this morning. Thank you all for being on the line. Uh, you know, for me, when we were reading this paragraph, I thought, well, you know, just what are the, these are, you know, basically the consequences of a couple paragraphs ago where um, we have lost the power of choice and drink and our so-called willpower becomes practical non-existence it's just reaffirmed in in this here paragraph and you know and for me again you know it just reminds me that you know of my dilemma which is lack of power you know and that also is further on in the in the big book and and you know and there'll come a time when I won't have a mental defense and and not just before I got in recovery but today and you know and it tells me that that defense must come from a power greater than myself and you know, I don't know how many times that over and over again, uh, casually, nonchalantly, you know, that I just picked up the food and then I'm pounding on the bar. You know, how did this start? And then, you know, my normal pattern, oh, well, 
what's the use anyhow? And and what it, you know, and I am so grateful, and I've heard it shared so many times prior that that I don't have to live that way anymore. You know, one day at a time. When I wake up in the morning, I ask God to keep me sober, abstinent, sane. And when I do, He does. And you know, for many many years, that was not the case. And today, I have an opportunity to not have to live this way, and I am so very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tina S. And Vasa O, you're up next. Thank you, Anita, for your service, and good morning, everyone. And I am Vasa, grateful, recovering, compulsive Ovita, calling from uh, Florida. I really had no clue when I came to uh, Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't know I had a disease. I didn't know I was. Um, I had the allergy. I I just did not know so much. And um, but I lived in this paragraph for years and years. I tried to control the food. I tried to exert my own willpower for so long, so many years. It just I couldn't do it. I mean, I could do it for a while, but I always went back to the food. And I did not, you know, I was powerless of my own thinking, you know, the mental obsession. I mean, I knew I had a mental obsession, but I did not know how to stop it. I know for me, like, I just had to learn so much coming, you know, to the program and the 12 steps. For me, step three was the key, you know. We admitted. Um, I was ready to admit. You know, I really had no shame. I was ready to admit that I was powerless over the food and that my life was unmanageable. And I needed to turn to a power greater than myself. And at that time, I just, you know, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was ready. I really was ready. And, you know, I, I, I exerted all these um, things by my own willpower. I remember saying, oh, it's not going to burn. I would go on a diet, and I thought, oh, if I just take only one, it's going to be okay, you know. And I take one, and I go for more and more and more. And I'm thinking, how, how did I get here? A lot of the, my eating was conscious, and a lot of my eating was unconscious, you know, without even thinking. I just pick up the stuff. So, um, again, I'm just so grateful that God led me into the OA program, the 12 steps, and I, you know, and I could not put the food down by, by myself. I needed to find a power greater than myself, which I call God, and I needed people like you to support me and to encourage me, no matter what, no matter what, what goes in my life, I have to live life. Yes, I do it. Thank God, you know. I eat, you know, whatever. I eat my three meals a day, and they are very healthy. You know, people are starving out there in the world. So I'm so grateful. I know when I was growing up, we didn't have food. You know, I remember going to sleep hungry at times. So to me, to have three meals and to have these good choices I can select, it's amazing. But again, I did not know I had a disease. I did not know I had addiction. This is where I found out. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Vasa O. Kim G., and then Milky will be next. Please go ahead, Kim. Thanks, Anita. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, on page 22, we looked at those questions that non-compulsive overeaters ask us. 
And here we are on page 24 with the questions that we ask ourselves. You know, Kathy Kay brought it up. I love the word supplanted, and it was in both paragraphs that she read this morning, and I looked up the definition. It says to take place of another as through force, scheming, or strategy. Well, doesn't that really describe the mental twist, the idea of being abstinent in untreated alcoholism? You know, we often talk about our triggers, and I have to say, you know, I only have one trigger, and that trigger is being awake. If I am awake and I am in untreated alcoholism, there's a good chance I'm going to pick up because whatever thoughts are going through my head, my mental twist will supplant sanity with insanity. You know, that threadbare idea, I think of myself with my sweatpants. I used to have to get sweatpants every three months because the rubbing of my thighs would, would, it would, would uh, get that fabric so thin. So whatever sanity is there, it's threadbare and supplanted. It's supplanted. So when it says that, you know, pounding my hand on the bar, personally, I did a lot of binging in my car, and I think of myself pounding my hand on the dashboard. I swear, I, was, I bought these donuts to bring into my office, and then the 20-minute ride to work, all the donuts are gone. So what are those thoughts that are readily supplanted? I just wrote down some of them. Well, if I buy it at Whole Foods or an organic food store, it's got to be okay. I mean, in high school, one of my dieting techniques was I cannot stand coconut. So when we had to bake stuff for the kids in school, I would bake something with coconut. And then what I would do is I'd binge on something I really didn't like the taste of, but I needed the effect. I didn't understand. I would, I would bury through the coconut taste, which I couldn't stand, to get to those ingredients which create the phenomenon of craving. Well, I don't binge in public. So if I, binge in, if I eat this stuff in front of people, I'm not going to binge. Well, if I have extra time on the elliptical machine, that, that extra food I'm eating is going to be fine. I was bulimic, and what I would do is I would eat what I thought was reasonable, and then I would eat carrots, and I don't even like carrots. And then I would binge, and then I would throw up until I saw the carrots because that seemed reasonable. That's the insane thoughts that are supplanted for the sanity thoughts. And I have no mental defense against this. So I think it's important. These are the questions that we ask ourselves, and they are absolutely insane because we have a mental obsession that will always convince us it's okay to eat. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kim G. And Malky, it's your turn. Hi, I'm Malky, compulsive overeater from New York. Thank you so much all for your share. Um, I was thinking about, it's just unbelievable, how everyone was sharing just of the things that exactly is my life. And it's just such an amazing place to be and hear it again and again because I, my eyes are like sockets. I don't have normal eyes. And I had a situation this week, and I'm so glad I was just reading it. I am not normal when it comes to food. I'm totally not normal. And my, my head and my mind give me a whole dance. And just this one time or this time I could do it or... Or um, or the, the the amount they're giving it, I don't have to take my scale with because I could eyeball. My eyeballs are sockets, and I had the opportunity this week of getting together with a few sister-in-laws. They all want to get together for a reason, and I right away thought to myself, the first thing was, oh, great, great, great. I'm going to go, and I'm going to have my dinner there, and I'm going to have it in the restaurant. And, and then I thought to myself, Go back to the big book. What is this telling you? The excitement and the excitement that you have about this and the energy 
means that you're going into somewhere like you're 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 going to into the denial and you're going into a place of of you know, I can do it just this one time. You know, like just this one time. You know, I'm really, really so good, Malky. I mean, you're amazing. You have breakfast, lunch, and supper. You know, you call your sponsor. You're your sponsor. You're blah, 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 whatever. And then I thought to myself, okay, stop. Just stop. And I, and I, and I just heard all the messages of, no, I cannot do this. It's not just this one time. I, food will sing and dance to me, and I really want to live. I want to live, and it's okay. And I have plenty of sister-in-laws, and they all got together, and I told them an excuse, whatever. I couldn't make it, and I had my dinner at home because I can't. It's like I used to think I, I, used to think I could handle it. I can't handle it. I can't handle it just this one time. I can't make those same decisions. Somehow God has created me this way that when it comes, I don't have, I can't have a decision on food. I am just totally compulsive I'm a compulsive overeater and the obsession of the mind will start and start dancing and singing and and even if I'll get through this one meal it's going to start giving me like a whole sing and dance and so I'm, I'm so grateful to have this meeting I'm so grateful to have this fellowship and I'm so grateful to live to try to live in sanity so uh, thank you thank you Malky uh, I think we're now going to move on to the next paragraph, and I'm going to ask Naomi B. And um, it's the paragraph that uh, starts with um, I do uh, see it. it, it <clears throat> this is Naomi B. I do see it. When the sort of okay. thinking. Yes, go ahead. Okay, thank you, dear. Thank you for your service. Good morning, fellow visionaries. This is Naomi B., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. And unless locked up, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, they, they would, there would have thoughts more convincing demonstrations. So many, so many want to stop but cannot. Well, <clears throat> the thing's been jumping out at me and so eloquently be put already about this word supplanted, and I looked it up in my big book dictionary, and it said substitute or replace. And I find that my disease is in the mind, and it cannot be solved with a physical condition. The other thing I have to remember is that I have an abnormal brain. When it comes to food, my, my brain is broken. It is, um, I have this mental twist. And we rem- remember the ease and comfort of the binge, not the pain of the binge of what the food did for me. And what this is going through here is the stark or severe and ugly facts. And then what was previously said and previously shared um, in this paragraph, perhaps he doesn't think at all or only to have that thought. And then what I just read, when this sort of thinking 
this is really drilling at home where it hits for me. And I was once, I had the honor once going to a, a wonderful AA meeting, and I remember the speaker saying, this person didn't die of alcoholism. This person died of the thinking. And that's where it lies for me, the thinking. I have a mental twist. And once, the, once this uh, mental obsession is triggered and then I ingest these foods, I'm off and running. But by the grace of God, thank you, God, I have this daily reprieve. A daily reprieve that when I stay close to him and when I do my prayer and meditation, living, living, in steps 10, 11, and 12, I can be at peace. I don't have the clatter in my brain. It's calm. And I have the neutrality around food. I've been in situations where it's like, really? I'm handling this? I'm I'm making a bagel or doing something for my daughter? And it's like, it's just an object to me because I have the neutrality around the food. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you very much, uh, Naomi. And who would like to share on this? Nancy Ara. Penny C. Rebenata. Okay, wait a minute, Nancy. And um, AJM. Wait a minute, guys. I think we're going to be. Who was after Nancy? I think it was I, Penny. Yes, it was Penny. It was Penny, and there was another voice before AJM. Renata. Reva and Renata. All right, and. we have uh, 10 minutes, so I, I don't know if we're going to get to you all, but uh, let's start and be hopeful. Nancy, please start. Nancy, you can go ahead. I'm sorry, I wasn't unmuted. Uh, good morning. My, Nancy, my name is Nancy Ara, a recovered, a grateful, recovered compulsive overeater. And I just want to speak on one uh, phrase, but for the grace of God. And uh, the prior readings and shares really uh, uh, epitomize all the things that I have in my heart this morning. But for the grace of God, I would still be 340 plus or even more by nine pounds. Uh, but but by the grace of God, I still would be trying to fix, manage, and control uh, this disease, which is beyond human control. But for the grace of God, I went to a event uh, Saturday, and uh, uh, there was only one item I could eat. And I, I was, it was dinner time, past dinner time, but for the grace of God, I ate that one item, and uh, it was not a big thing. You know, it was not a big big thing. I, I ate that item, and they fortunately they had a few carrots and and uh, uh, celery. And at one time, that would have just I would have just uh, either I would, would have been fighting fighting or dived in, and just said, "What the heck? This time will be different." That phrase just epitomizes my grat- the gratitude I have in my life this morning. I thank you for letting me share. 
Thank you so much, Nancy. And Penny C., please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, everybody on the line. Thanks, Anita. It's Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overreader from the Boston area. And as we've been reading this morning, it kept reminding me that this is what I was like in a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Here I was, you know, being, I was a churchgoer. I, 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 you know, thought I had um, some kind of a connection to God. And I was 5'1", almost 200 pounds, and never thought for one minute that I could bring my problem to God. And when I came to the point where I was saying to myself, oh, it's just a a lost cause, what's the use? And then the paragraph we just read, the ugly facts, the ugly facts about myself and my thinking, my thinking was that of, of a really, really sick person, a seemingly hopeless person, both of mind and body. And it wasn't until I got to my first OA meeting when they said, you have a disease and it's spiritual, that I began to recover. All the, all the things that we tried and all the years that I had um, done and, and all sorts of things because all I thought I had was a weight problem and not not a spiritual problem. And so I need to be reminded that I was in this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I love that because it so well describes me. It, it's perfect. And if I don't remember that, if I ever, ever think that for one minute... I can go back to consuming any one of the foods that I have realized leads me to the phenomenon of craving. I'll be right back there again, right back there again. So for me, I need to stay really close to my higher power, really close to my network of recovered compulsive overeaters, and um, and just be grateful, constantly grateful. And I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kenny C. And Reva, please go ahead. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Um, I wanted to share on the words facts and cannot. And it's fascinating how um, the people who wrote this book know that I can forget from one paragraph to another. So I'm hearing the same message over and over, that it's a fact, it's a given, it's the truth that I cannot um, control and enjoy um, my um, binge foods. But what I wanted to share on was um, that I'm beyond human aid and has a, it's already been shared about you know the food, the substance, that I'm beyond human aid and my thinking, my sick thinking can't um, heal my sick mind. Um, but it's with everything else in my life. Um, and beyond human aid means it's not up to the therapist, my sponsor, um, even people in program, um, although I get lots of you know guidance, but the guidance I get from people in program is to go back to my higher power, to work the steps so that I access the power greater than myself. Um, so to be careful that I'm not putting my power on other people 
And then, but for the grace of God, many more thousands would have um, demonstrated the same thing. That reminds me that I can stop whenever I'm willing to stop. That, you know, thousands more people would have um, suffered from this disease if it wasn't for the people who uh, put together this book. Um, And as an individual, I don't have to keep digging um, deeper and deeper from my bottom. Um, And it's not just the food. It's with everything. I can't control anything. I think I can control my schedule, my children, my mother's health, um, all of it. That's why I need to keep working the steps. That's why I still need to be coming to the meetings because life keeps happening. And I have a mental twist that tells me I can control certain things in my life, even if it's not the food. And I can't control anything. Um, And... um, yeah, that's about it, and I uh, pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, Renata, we have three minutes left. Uh, let's see if you, if we can give one of those minutes to AJM. You go ahead, Renata. Sure, I'll be quick. Uh, thank <laughs> you, Anita, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G. Recovered Composable Reader in New York. And I want to focus on the phrase, uh, so many can stop, but they cannot, you know, and for the longest time, I really thought I wanted to stop, you know, I, because I tried so many times and I was so miserable and I, I really, really thought I wanted to stop. But what I really wanted was to eat the way I ate and keep uh, having, you know, the same behaviors I've always had and not have the consequences of it. When I came to this program and I understood that this disease was going to keep me in misery or kill me, then I really wanted to stop. And when I really wanted to stop, I did what the people that were stopped did. You know, the same, we hear the same message every day on this line. There is no secret. You know, it's put the food down and work the steps as if your life depends on it. When I did that, then it worked. Today, by the grace of God, like says in the text, I can't stay stuck as long as I keep on working these steps every day because, like others have shared, the problem is my thinking. But, you know, there had to be change. Without change, there was no recovery. Until I was willing to change uh, and let go of my old ideas and embrace this program completely, until I wanted recovery more than I wanted the food, nothing changed. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you. Very nicely. Uh, AJM, take us home. <laughs> this is AJM from North Carolina. I want to go back to the previous paragraph and just mention quickly the word nonchalant, which means feeling or appearing casually calm and relaxed not displaying anxiety, interest, or enthusiasm. There's no such thing for me. If I pick up something that is not on my food plan or something to which I have an allergic uh, reaction that results in my desire to my crave, my craving for more, there's nothing nonchalant about it. And the um, for me to not be concerned when I pick up I have to be so oblivious. I have to be so back in my disease that um, 
there's no such thing as nonchalance when it comes to uh, picking up something that's not on my food plan. I am planning to binge if I do that. So I was really taken with the word nonchalant. Thank you for your service, and thanks, everyone, for being here this morning. With that, I pass. Thank you very much. And I just want to compliment everybody today. Everybody shared with three or less minutes. Now, um, please join us, if you can, for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And now we're going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164. And I will ask Naomi, I mean, um, Chelsea H., to read it for us. Hi, this is Chelsea. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Thanks for your service. I'm Chelsea H., Recovered Compulsive Eater, just for today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.